BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report magazine. I'm Sasha Koka. Today on our show, even though many of us might feel like we've got more of a handle on the coronavirus pandemic now, none of us are ever going to forget this unbelievable year, especially the folks who've been in the trenches. Uh, This is Lisa Fagundes reporting on July 1st. Uh, It was a very hectic and stressful shift. Lisa Fagundes is normally a librarian at the San Francisco Public Library. But starting last April, she and thousands of city and state workers were redeployed to become contact tracers, calling people who may have been exposed to the virus. This is an army of tracers that basically investigate. These are simply disease detectives. I don't even know where to begin. It was just so busy and we were frantic. Our health correspondent, April Demboski, met Lisa last spring and asked her to keep an audio diary for us throughout her year on pandemic duty. Listening through to these entries, you're going to hear in real time how the pandemic changes her, how it picks her up and twists her in all kinds of directions and then drops her on the other side, just like it's done to all of us. I don't know. Last week was like a dark cloud, and this week it's like, okay, we can do this. Later in the show, we're going to hear from a couple high school journalists about how their lives have been transformed this past year. But first, let's start with Lisa. We're going to pick up with her about a month into her new assignment. Hello, this is Lisa Fagundes. It's um, May 27th. I just finished my shift. It was very slow. I only had one contact. But personally, I I think all of us, but definitely me, are wondering what's going to happen after this last, it was just Memorial Day. I know a lot of people like went out and went to restaurants. And so it's like, okay, are a bunch of people going to start getting sick? Or did we somehow like defeat the virus, you know, with our shelter in place in California? So I guess we'll see. Hey, this is Lisa reporting for Monday, June 1st. Um, I had a pretty good ship tonight. Everybody was pretty compliant. Nobody was in a bad mood. Um, I did have a rough weekend. I had an uncle call out contact tracing on his social media and say that it was the government being invasive and you shouldn't answer contact tracers' questions and they're, it's evil. I keep laughing when this happens at people who think that, like, we're some sort of nefarious, like, government conspiracy when I'm like, we can't even get our database to, like, you know, not malfunction sometimes. So we're not nefarious. Um, We're just throwing this together on the fly. 
This is Lisa Fagundes. It's um, Monday, June 8th. We had a little cluster of people who were all in their 20s and they got sick because somebody at a party had COVID. And I was like, here it is. Like, people are loosening up, you know, from a Memorial Day and whatnot. And it's like, okay, we're going to start getting these contacts that are kids at parties. Uh, this is Lisa Fagundes reporting June 29th. Today we had 16 pages of contacts. It's like almost 200. Hello, this is Lisa Fagundes. It is June 30th. We had a lot, like 20 pages of contacts. It's just getting crazy busy. Uh, this is Lisa Fagundes reporting on July 1st. Uh, it was a very hectic and stressful shift. I don't even know where to begin. It was just so busy and we were frantic and we're getting to that point now where, you know, a lot of the contacts are more annoyed that we're calling and they're not polite. Um, they're, and they're getting frustrated. So I understand some of it. We have this system. It's a little bit clunky with like, they get multiple calls sometimes. And we're also starting to encounter more of the segment of the population that's, that doesn't trust this whole system that doesn't trust the department of public health in general. And uh, I totally understand that for some communities, but it makes doing the work very difficult because they're a lot more curt and, and resistant or suspicious or scared and upset. So, yeah, it's just been it was just a lot of that tonight. It was exhausting. I feel totally fried and also completely wired. California is set to soon eclipse 400,000 coronavirus cases. California now leads the nation with more than half a million confirmed cases. It has the most coronavirus cases in the country. Governor Gavin Newsom announced a sweeping rollback to the state's reopening. Restaurants, wineries, tasting rooms, movie theaters, family entertainment, zoos and museums, card rooms, the shuttering of all bars. This is Lisa Fagundes. It is July 13th. Um, I can't, there's not much I can say. It was hectic. We had like 10 tracers tonight, so we were really busy because we're just trying to like tear down this massive surge. Um, we had a ton of cops that, uh, it's pretty, pretty messed up from what the contacts are saying. There was a cop that went to work and so he tested positive for COVID. And then we had to call like all 60 employee, like coworkers of his, and we had another, uh, a lot of um, parties, a lot of parties. We had people coming from Sacramento to come to a party in San Francisco and someone there was sick. Um, so now we have to call all those people. And a group of people, all parents decided to like hire a couple babysitters and like have their kids like taken to like an impromptu like summer camp. And then one of the babysitters got COVID. So now all these kids, all these toddlers are contacts that we have to call their parents. But we're just seeing so much more of that, whereas before it was like literally all like pretty much the working poor. And now it's like a lot of younger people, a lot of English speakers now, a lot of people going to parties. And our contact tracing rates have slowed down because we have so many more contacts to put in that it was taking us longer to reach them all. And so then people are running around exposing other people more. So, yeah, it's it's nerve wracking. I definitely had a tracer on last Friday who like needed to like debrief and like process with me after the shift and she was just like crying, you know, and she was like, it's just so hard. These conversations are so hard. And she's Latina and she was talking, she talks to a lot of Latina families, Latinx families. And she was just really sad, you know, and I, and I pointed out to her, it's like, well, this is basically secondary trauma. Like, you know, you're telling somebody really bad news and you're hearing 
how hard it's going to be for them not to go to work. And it's just so unnecessary and so frustrating and so depressing. And it's really hard to tell people terrible things. Uh, this is Lisa Fagundes. It's July 30th. It's actually July 31st. It's almost three in the morning. Um, I haven't done one of these in a while because it's gotten really crazy. Um, it's been really hectic. And the surge is just, it's just, I think it's just kind of getting to everybody. Um, and I'm doing this right now because I can't sleep. Um, I've been up just nonstop thinking. And I worked until about 11.30 p.m. tonight. My first meeting was at 9 in the morning. All of our departments are super backed up. So the food referral department got backed up. So now the contact tracers have to do that work. And then the test scheduling department got backed up. So the contact tracers are doing that work. And the tracers are starting to get, like, super frustrated and frantic and depressed. And it's just crazy. And then in the middle of a shift last week, my dog died. It was so, so sad. And, and... I haven't even had a second to, to grieve, really, because I'm so busy. And I just remember thinking, like, I was relieved because she is old and I'm so busy that I can't, I couldn't take care of her. I couldn't, because I was like, I can't take her out. I have, I can't leave the computer. I can't leave my computer. I can't go anywhere for, like, five to seven hours. I'm stuck. This is really f***ing hard. And everybody's just working so hard. Uh, I'm super proud to be a part of it. And these are just such awesome people, and it's also so f***ing hard. So it's just been a really shitty week. Uh, it's just been a shitty week, and I'm just so scared that we're going to end up like, like New York City or something, and I don't know. I just don't know how that's going to be. I don't want to, I don't want to know. Uh, this is Lisa Fagundis. Um, I think it's August 6th. I don't know. Last week was like a dark cloud and this week it's like, okay, we can do this. Hello, it's Lisa Fagundis. Um, Oh, what day is it? It's a Saturday. Um, it's actually been a really chill week. The numbers are going down. Hopefully that stays. It's much better than July so far. Like July was just a nightmare of a month. Hello, it's uh, Lisa Fagundes. It is, I don't know, I think it's November 10th. We've been getting busier. It's um, November 18th. Everything is surging. It's um, November... 25th. So yeah, we're definitely in surge. Everything is insane. My brain feels like it's melting. Today is the first day that I didn't cry on shift in two weeks. Um, every other day I have, but I'm hoping the numbers come down, but it doesn't look like anything is coming down. So we'll see. Tonight, the CDC says the spread of coronavirus is now so out of control, Americans should cancel their Thanksgiving plans. Please don't gather don't do indoor events. People will not get as good a care as they should be getting.
Hospitals in Southern California are admitting infected patients faster than they can discharge them. Hospitals in Santa Clara County remain overwhelmed as COVID patients fill up intensive care units. Tonight, hospitals across the country are under siege. Hello, it's uh, Lisa Fagundes. Today is January 14th. Um, so Christmas happened and the surge went insane. We just had, it was just bonkers town. Um, for Christmas, I was supposed to go to my cousins and we didn't do that. On Christmas Eve, I was supposed to go see my mom and we moved it to a different day. And it was my mom and my partner and me, my stepfather, my brother, my sister-in-law and their four-year-old, my niece. Um, and we were really good. Like we all mostly sat outside, I'd say like 95% of the time. We were all definitely socially distanced um, and wearing masks, except for my niece, um, took her mask off about halfway through. And then sure enough, like two days later, we find out that she had been exposed, like that her teacher tested positive for COVID. So I was, it was holy shit. Like I was so mad, <laughs> I was so mad and embarrassed. I was mad at myself for hanging out with my family, even though I knew it was a risk. I was embarrassed to be the person who's a contact tracer who then got exposed hanging out on the frickin' holidays, which is the thing we knew we weren't gonna supposed to do, you know? I didn't actually get contact traced. Like, they didn't call, the school didn't call anybody. They just called my, I think they just called my brother. So I didn't actually get the experience of being called by a contact tracer, um, which would have been pretty meta. Um. We all got tested, everybody was negative. It was a false alarm. She wasn't even near that teacher. But it really like, I don't know, it just really sunk in that like this is psychotic. You know, like this, this is just, it's just everywhere. I didn't know anybody with COVID for months. And then my niece almost got it. I have uh, my uncle who, the one who told me that contact tracing was bull and like masks are for sheep. He got it, he has it right now. Um, I had multiple friends get it. It's just suddenly everybody has it. It just got really, really serious. Um, really, really scary. And I did also find out on Christmas Day that my grandma got COVID. They told us um, about a week late. They were like, oh, yeah, your grandma has it. She's out of, she's out of her isolation in a few days. Um, and they, she's doing great. And this is my, my 101 year old grandmother who lives in a nursing home. So I'm like, Hmm, I doubt she's doing great. And then sure enough, they call my father at five in the morning on Christmas Eve. And they say that she's doing really badly. Um, and then we heard nothing about it on Christmas day. And then on Christmas, the day after Christmas day, they called him and said she had passed. They said she passed that morning, but I was like, she died on Christmas, and they just didn't want to tell us. My grandma was a f awesome. She was just an awesome lady. She was really funny, and she was just a badass lady, and she survived the Spanish flu, and then to die because she's in an old folks home who, you know, that spreads like wildfire in there. And I, I just am so sad to think that she just drowned in her own lungs by herself, you know? This is Lisa Fagundes. Um, it is uh, 215, 2021. Um, there's a lot of, there's some rumors going around that the librarians might be deactivated finally and able to go back to work. Um, 
If, if we don't have tons of cases, then we, they don't really need us. So this crazy time might be coming to an end for me soon. We're all kind of sad and we, we've all been kind of feeling a little like pre-nostalgic about the end, the end is near kind of a thing. Hello, this is Lisa Fagundis. It's um, March 10th, I think. March 9th, 2021. Um, probably gonna talk a long time because this might be my last recording. Um, so we're kind of just chilling a little bit. Uh, and they have pivoted into calling people about vaccinations. Um, I just got trained on that today, in fact. And then also, uh, as schools open up, we still have a ton of school contacts where like somebody at a school um, has COVID and then they have to pretty much shut down that whole pod of the school. So for the future, yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings. Like part of me wants to go back to the library and just be done with all this because it is just constant change and I'm tired. Like I'm tired of making difficult phone calls. I'm tired of helping people process making difficult phone calls. Like I, I'm tired of it, <laughs> you know, like I'm physically and mentally tired of it. Um, and another part of me, I'm going to miss the, like the camaraderie of going through something like this. I'm going to miss the public health knowledge. Like <laughs> I see some of the library, you know, reference questions and it's all like eBooks and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, am I ready to go back and answer eBook questions instead of like vaccine questions, you know, like we're all like strangely sad and like mourning the end of this, you know, already. But also like, of course, it's better that there's no, the pandemic might be going away, you know, so it's, it's complicated. It's just been such a magical, like, depressing and difficult and hard, but also um, empowering and strong and fascinating and touching time. And I feel very lucky for that. Librarian and contact tracer Lisa Fagundis. Thanks to the California Reports health correspondent April Demboski for producing her audio diary for us. By the way, Lisa's assignment as a contact tracer ends this week. She reports back to work at the San Francisco Public Library full-time on Monday. Um, yeah, so that's, I think that's it. Um, thank you so much for letting me uh, ramble at you for a year almost. <laughs> Thanks. The pandemic has changed things for all of us this year, including the high school journalists we're going to hear from next as part of Youth Takeover Week here at KQED, where we produce the California Report. KQED works with teachers to help high schoolers report stories about their own lives and communities. We're going to start with Nate Dolan. He's a junior at El Cerrito High School. I've been skateboarding since elementary school. One of the biggest things I've missed during the pandemic has been going to one of my favorite skate spots, the EMB at Justin Herman Plaza in San Francisco. Last year, I took my recorder out to capture the sounds of the Embarcadero skaters. It's been pretty quiet over there recently, but with the state opening back up, 
the skateboarding community is bringing it back to life. In 1972, Justin Herman Plaza was built by Don Carter at the east end of the Embarcadero Center in San Francisco. This plaza contains the Valen Court Fountain, an ice skating rink in the winter months, and a nice open space for nearby workers to congregate while on breaks. This is one skater who is visiting the EMB. You get to be in the middle of the action downtown. But Justin Herman Plaza is also home to San Francisco's most famous skate spot. EMB, as skaters call it, is full of ledges, stair sets, and gaps. The spot first gained popularity in the early 90s, and as skateboarding began to grow, people from all over the world came to the Embarcadero to show off their skills. This is another skater visiting the EMB. It's a legendary spot to come and, come and skate. Through the 90s, EMB remained popular, and new spots in the plaza were discovered. Mark Gonzalez, a famous pro skater, created the Gons Gap. The objective of this trick was to go from the top of one wall, ollie off and over a 10-foot gap, and land. There was also the Hubba Hideout, a set of six stairs with ledges on either side. These spots were so legendary in the skate world that they even appeared in Thrasher's 1999 video game Skate and Destroy. Though the skate scene at the plaza has changed since the 90s, you can still find skaters of all ages skating the plaza. This skater says, I think it's uh, just as popular ever has been. The famous Embarcadero skate spot is a huge part of skateboarding culture, but for skaters, it's just one part of San Francisco's massive skate scene. For The California Report, I'm Nate Dolan. And now we're going to hear from Zachary Yeh. He's 16, and he goes to Washington High School in San Francisco. He says the pandemic has made things even harder for kids with learning disabilities who already face a lot of hurdles at school. When I was about four and a half years old, I was diagnosed with a learning disability known as autism. It was very rough growing up with it, considering the fact that I wasn't able to have an actual conversation until I was about seven years old. School was very difficult for me when I was younger. I had been working at a different pace than other students. Teachers would always discuss with my parents about ways to improve my learning. I have an IEP, which stands for Individual Education Plan. This allows special accommodations for school, but I still face some discrimination from school staff. I asked my mom, Janet Yeh, about how that played out when I was younger. This really sticks out in my head because it was right when you were going into kindergarten and I stopped to talk to um, your brother's former kindergarten teacher and I asked her if she was ready to have you in her class the next year. And her response was, I don't think Zachary is going to be a good fit for my classroom. Wow. How did that make you feel? Well, I was pretty surprised and shocked, but we lucked out and we found a different kindergarten teacher who was willing to take you on, and it was a great fit. My mother is a huge advocate for me. She made sure I got every therapy, camp, program, and accommodations. She created a parent support group at my elementary school. She wanted to help the parents that were struggling and the ones that didn't know how to advocate for their children. There was obvious discrimination against students with disabilities often from the teachers who were supposed to be supporting me. 
teachers regularly underestimated my ability to do schoolwork because I didn't have functional speech at that time. By the time I got into middle school, my disability was almost invisible. I told a few people that I was autistic, but they didn't believe me. This is probably because they see others with autism whose behavior was different than mine. But because I got support from my parents when I was little, I didn't struggle at school anymore. Many people with autism, however, have social problems, sensory processing issues, and even difficulty understanding instructions. At my current school, my case manager, Ms. Klaus, helps me to advocate for myself. She also makes sure that I am on the right track with my schoolwork. Another way I'm able to keep up with school is communicating with my teachers to make accommodations when necessary. I recently spoke to Ms. Klaus about discrimination in schools. Students with IEPs face uh, discrimination from a variety of sources and a variety of levels, um, ranging from their peers and other adults to also ranging from small comments or name calling all the way up to people calling into question whether or not them receiving accommodations and services is appropriate. What do you mean by that? With that, it's people who talk about how, well, it's not fair if someone gets extra time to do something because that's not fair to everybody else. Or it's not fair that those kids get a smaller class. Why does that matter? That's problematic because students with IEPs need those things to be able to succeed. And when you talk about fairness, it shouldn't be everyone getting exactly the same thing. It should be everyone getting what they need. What other factors contribute to discrimination? Don't even get me started on the low levels of funding for special education, because that is discrimination in its own way. I've heard classmates say, this person has autism, or use the R word as a slur. People assume that students who have disabilities are just straight up stupid, they can't accomplish goals in life, and their feelings won't be hurt when insulted. Bullies often manipulate people with disabilities by playing mind games they don't understand. Right now, during distance learning, many students with individual education plans are struggling to have all their accommodations met. Because of the pandemic, thousands of students who would normally have a one-on-one -on -one aid are not receiving services. This means they cannot meet their academic, behavior, social, and emotional goals. These students will be further behind when we go back. The fight for disability rights is still an ongoing battle. It helps that there are people like my mom, my case manager, and even my friends who are passionate to help people with disabilities. For The California Report, I'm Zachary A. You can hear more Youth Takeover stories from high school journalists at kqed.org slash youthtakeover. The project is spearheaded by Teresa Wersbianska and Emiliano Villa. California Report Magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. 
Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor. Amanda Font is our director. And our engineer is Brendan Willard. Our team also includes Julia McAvoy and Hector Arzate. Last week, we told you that our show is up for this huge award, the Webby for Best Podcast in the category of Diversity and Inclusion. While there's still time to vote for our episode about a transgender asylum seeker and her dream of coming to California. It's called A Butterfly With My Wings Cut Off. So if you want to show us some love, please, please cast your vote by May 6th. We've got a link at kqed.org slash podcasts. I'm Sasha Koka, and thank you for taking the time to listen. This is the California Report magazine, your state, your stories. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.